As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. It is Friday, May 20th. Derek Van Riper here with El Melkier going live on YouTube 4 o'clock Eastern. If you're not joining us this week, join us in a future week and ask questions along the way as we break down the players available on the wire in many leagues for the upcoming weekend. And this week is more fun than most because we have two highly coveted prospects sort of leading the way with a hitter and a pitcher, both with the Cardinals. Nolan Gorman is coming up. And Matthew Libertor is coming up, so we've got a lot of interesting players to talk about over the course of the next 50 minutes or so. And Al, let's start with Nolan Gorman, because we always begin with hitters, and I think the question is going to be, do you expect Nolan Gorman's power to immediately translate in a way that will also be productive in the other categories? The raw power itself, I think, is almost unquestioned, but I think it's a matter of how much swing and miss should we expect from him, given the strikeout rate that we've seen despite a torrid start at AAA this season? Well, for somebody with Gorman's profile, I think that there's a little bit more reason to be hopeful than maybe somebody else who strikes out a lot but also hits for a lot of power. And that's because he has, uh, and again, I... I was going to say, he's he's got a pretty consistently high line drive rate. And I almost stopped myself in that explanation because I know that a lot of times I'll talk about how variable line drive rate is. But he's been pretty consistent with that. So he might be able to, to kind of neutralize the impact of striking out a lot if, in fact, he does. And the other thing that I maybe hold out a little hopeful hope for, uh, and maybe this is just a little bit of wish casting here, is that in this first season in AAA, he didn't strike out that much. So... We have seen that with other players where they they get called up and then for whatever reason, they actually do wind up not striking out as much. At least there's a precedent for that with Gorman. So I, I you know, that said, you know, you see all kinds of variants with, with prospects when they get called up. So it's not completely unthinkable that um, he's more Jared Kelnick than, than we would like, but uh, yeah, there, there are hopeful signs there that uh, to me make it worthwhile to go go double digits uh, in terms of percentage of fab. Yeah, I think it's going to be a pretty big bid in most leagues. I think even down to maybe even a 10-team mixed league, you'd at least think about adding Gorman because it's it's a risk-reward question. The ceiling is high enough to make that, make that move and see what happens. And if it doesn't work out, make another move later on. I think part of the appeal and part of what separates players in the pool this year, more than maybe it has in years past, it always is a factor, is the team quality. The Cardinals are a top 10 offense right now. And that's before Gorman got there. That's before uh, getting Tyler O'Neill going. He's on the IL right now. That's before getting a lot from Dylan Carlson. So there's still ways for the St. Louis offense to get better. Gorman himself could be a part of that. But the supporting cast is actually an above average supporting cast right now. And I think why I would worry about a lot of hitters and their power output going into St. Louis, Gorman has plus plus power. That shouldn't really matter. I would worry about a guy like this. If he had slightly above average power, given the park, not the case here. Obviously, the baseball is not playing as as lively as it did a few years ago. I don't think that's going to impact Nolan Gorman quite as much as it impacts other players either. The line drive thing is also interesting because 
A lot of what you know Saris has been looking at more recently is with the dead and ball, hitting line drives has been one of the few ways to get consistent value within plate appearances. So um, I am very curious to see how much the K rate last year versus this year actually uh, gives us an indicator of like what he really is. If you kind of split the difference between the two, you'd put more weight on last season because it was a larger sample at AAA. It was 328 plate appearances for him a year ago at that same level, under 20% with the K rate, sitting at 34% despite knocking 15 homers in 34 games at AAA Memphis to begin this season. So um, it could be a 230-240 average with big power and that might be what you get for the rest of the season. Maybe it's less than that in the average, but just as much power as you're hoping for. Either way, worth a hefty bid because it could be among the bigger impact bats that we get called up to the big leagues this year, given that many of them have already debuted. Uh, we'll get to Gorman's teammate, Matthew Liebertor, when we get to the pitchers in just a little while. And It's interesting to me that a lot of the shallow league bats that we're thinking about for this weekend are top prospects that were either recently promoted or are soon to be promoted. And MJ Melendez came up on the show last week. Now his playing time path is much more open because the Royals had to place Salvador Perez on the IL. So at this point, at least temporarily, are you pushing MJ Melendez into that top 10, top 12 range among catchers, given the quality of the contact he's making during the brief time he's been in the big leagues? Yeah, and that's the thing is at least we've had an opportunity, small sample such as it is, to see what Melendez can do at the major league level. So, you know, we can't be discouraged by that. We can certainly be encouraged by the minor league numbers. And now we don't have questions about where does the playing time come. And that was the one thing that was a little bit disappointing when Melendez first came up, because I know you and I had talked about this on some previous episodes, and I was was very optimistic that uh, the Royals would find a way to uh, kind of split the time with catcher and DH and get, obviously Perez is going to see every day at bats, but get Melendez something close to that too. And for a while, it didn't look like that was really materializing. That's obviously no longer an issue for the foreseeable future. So uh, absolutely Melendez is now a, a one catcher league catcher. Yeah, we've got about 15 different hitters on the rundown for today. So I made a custom leaderboard over at Fangraphs to look at some some underlying stat cast numbers to see where these guys are at in terms of hard hit rate and barrel rate. I'm not surprised to see MJ Melendez second among the hitters that we're going to discuss on this show with a 55.6% hard hit rate. I know it's only been 27 batted ball events so far, but it really kind of connects the dots from the power up that we saw a year ago to some of the things that are happening with him early on in his big league career. Uh, I think the other question, if you're looking to get help at catcher and maybe Melendez isn't available in your league or maybe someone else is just going to beat you to him in terms of spending more fad than you do this weekend, is Adley Rutschman. It can't be that much longer before Adley Rutschman gets the chance. And I think it's it's been a question all along that, you know, it's a when question, not a how good is he going to be sort of question. I look at Rutschman and I see a guy who should pretty much immediately be a top 10 catcher at the position because I think the Orioles will hit him very high in the order sooner rather than later. And I think he's going to play a lot more than a ton of catchers in the league. We have so many teams that share this role, even in a 60-40, 65-35 sort of split. I don't expect that. Once Rutschman comes up, I think he's a high volume player at the position. Yeah, there's really no reason to think otherwise because you look at that lineup and the Orioles need his bat in there as, as often as possible. So, uh, I, yeah, I don't worry about, about playing time. I think the only question is just if you are looking to upgrade a catcher this week, maybe we see Rutschman, maybe we don't. I mean, it, once he's up, I agree with you that he's somebody who starts in a one-catcher league, but the question is, what do you do as a contingency plan if for some reason Rutschman isn't up this week? So I think it, you just you have to think about that. Uh, you never really like to roster more catchers than you need to, but I think Rutschman is... If you know the priority is to get him on the roster, and if for one week you know you need to carry an extra catcher, I think it's worthwhile. Yeah, I think that's the way I would look at it. Given that we don't have any news, as of Friday afternoon anyway, of Rutschman debuting early next week, you got to make sure you're not relying on him in your starting lineup, at least at this point. The other name that I think is really interesting is a player that came up in passing on last week's show. It's Vidal Brujan, and I think he's become a little bit more interesting than he was a week ago because Brandon Lau is going to miss about a month with an injury. So instead of being an up-and-down guy or someone that might not have 
even a semi-regular role in the lineup for the Rays, I think you can see a little more of a path for Bruhan if he hits to carve out more playing time as a result of Lau's injury. I want to bring it back to what I said a week ago and just ask you, do you think Vidal Bruhan is going to be a good big league hitter? Because I think he needs to be at least a decent big league hitter if he's going to provide the speed that many of us have been hoping for for a couple of seasons now. Right, yeah, for him to earn the playing time in a in an organization and on a on a roster where you know, frankly, even with Brandon Lau out, I don't completely trust the playing time just because of the way that the Rays use players. So, yeah, he he needs to hit to keep his bat in the lineup and and produce those steals and I'll admit I'm I'm on the fence about it. Uh partly just because uh we haven't really seen it in in the opportunities that he's had. So um, I'm certainly not as certain of it as, you know, you and I were talking about Nolan Gorman. I don't, I don't think that would surprise anybody. But I do think that given that his main appeal is for stolen bases, most of the targets that you would look at, I think we're probably going to talk about Eli White later as, as an example. There's, there's you know, usually if somebody's on waivers as a stolen base source, there's going to be some risk or some flaw there. So I don't think that Bruhan is any worse than anybody else we might consider and the upside is greater even if we're not certain or at least I'm not certain that that upside is going to be realized yeah I think my argument would be that Vidal Bruhan is probably less flawed by comparison than some of the speedsters that we're going to talk about a little bit later in the show and that's why he gets the the mention as part of this shadow league group of bats where in a 12 team league where you're starting five outfielders I think you could strongly consider sneaking him onto your roster and actually playing him And a lot of that has to do with what stolen bases look like in pretty much every league right now, where a handful of bags might be worth four or five or six standings points. I I have a lot of leagues like that right now. And I think there's going to be this extra temptation as people keep looking at their teams now that we're about a quarter of the way into the season. How much am I willing to sacrifice in the other categories to possibly move up in that one? Bruhan might have just the right window right now where the risk is actually worth it. I believe he has started seven of the Rays' last eight games since uh, going back to last Tuesday. So the role has been close to every day recently. We'll see if it holds through the weekend. We'll see if he's still as appealing Sunday afternoon as he appears to be right now if you're desperate for speed and plenty of us are in that situation right now. Um, The other shallow league bat that I think is worth mentioning is one that I've seen uh, kicked around a a little bit. I I saw a Michael Salfino tweet before we jumped on uh, singing the virtues of of Christian Walker. I know Eno has been pointing the underlying numbers for a few weeks and the playing time has been very steady for Walker as well. So I'm just curious how shallow can the league be where you'd be considering Christian Walker as a possible upgrade on the corner? I think 12 teams, and I don't even feel like it's really even, you know, that speculative or that much of a reach. And I made the case for it in the waivers column this week, uh, because if you look at, first of all, you just look at what he's produced. I mean, he's now hitting a lot of home runs, uh, the kinds of things that I'm sure Eno or Michael Salfino were, were pointing out a couple weeks back that the, you know, the barrel rate, the hard hit rate, those things were looking great, even when there wasn't overwhelming power. We're seeing the actual power numbers catch up to those peripherals. Uh, and then even with him hitting around 200, he's, uh, at least according to the, um, the Fangraphs auction calculator, he's currently 15th, I believe it is, or maybe uh, I might be off by a couple of points, but he's around 15th in terms of uh, 5x5 Roto value. So that makes him absolutely viable in a 12-team league by the time you take in corner and field and utility and, into account. And and there's you know there's more room there because uh, he should hit for a higher average. Um, you know he should produce a lot of runs. And you talk about not only the is the playing time consistent. His spot in the order is very steady. He's the cleanup hitter. So while it's not, you know, one of the greater offenses in the major leagues, uh, you know, with very, very few exceptions, that that's a good thing to be at the cleanup hitter. Uh, there's certainly good enough bats around him that uh, he could be producing home runs. He could be producing runs and RBIs. And uh, there's a lot of room for that batting, batting average to grow going forward. Yeah, I think of the guys that didn't debut this week on the hitter leaderboard, that I talked about a little earlier, Christian Walker, number one in barrel rate of the players we're talking about today, 16.3% barrel rate, uh, consistent hard contact, and doesn't have a, a major strikeout sort of problem. So I do think if you're in a, a 12-team league and he's still out there, it's one of your last chances to scoop him up. I don't see the 
Diamondbacks really having a way to move away from Christian Walker anytime soon, and they don't really have a reason to because the underlying numbers have been just that good. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. We're going to take a look at some deeper league bats, and I think we're going to go kind of around the horn because I was going through just looking for players who were playing a bit more than expected. And you know, compared to MJ Melendez and Adley Rutschman, who might be long gone in some of the deeper and, and more competitive leagues out there, there is an interesting name in Seattle behind the plate that I want to talk about, and that's Cal Raleigh. It just looks like there's been a, a shift in playing time taking place behind the plate with the Mariners. Raleigh hasn't done much in his chances in the big league so far, but I like what he was doing at AAA a season ago. He's more of a bat-first catcher, and it seems like that's a, a player type that the Mariners are, are more comfortable with than a lot of other clubs. So I think there is a path, at least in two catcher leagues, to consider Raleigh as an upgrade if you've been struggling to find steady playing time from your second catcher. Yeah, he's certainly on a short list for me in a league where uh, I've been uh, not not you know my first preference, but I've been streaming catchers out of necessity. So uh, Raleigh is definitely in that category. Uh, I would agree two catcher leagues are the ceiling for him, but um, there, there's value there. Yeah, could start making a lot of hard contact with that more consistent playing time. I think there's going to be some swing and miss in his profile. That's fine. You get that at the position more often than not. But if the playing time gets to the point where he's kind of above that 65% threshold that you're looking for, the payoff might be worth it. And it's probably not going to take a whole lot in fab. You're talking about a min bid or a near min bid to go out and get Raleigh at this point since the surface numbers are not good. A 095 average and a 191 OBP and a 310 slugging percentage doesn't tend to to open up the wallet when it comes to the fab bidding. Uh, but a few other names that I thought were pretty interesting, uh, Frank Schwindel came up in uh, John Legeza's column, I think, earlier this week as a deeper league player that people might be sleeping on right now. I wanted to ask you about Schwindel because I didn't really believe in what he did in the second half of last season, but I also think he's probably a little better than he's been to this point. I just don't know if that's necessarily enough for me to want to push Schwindel onto my roster compared to maybe a Paven Smith or even Mike Ford, another player who's been finding some more time in Seattle recently. Yeah, well, I probably would take Schwindel over Ford, but yeah, I, I think there are better options out there. Paven Smith would certainly qualify as one of those for me. And you know, you're talking to somebody who. Uh, in the bold predictions column that I wrote earlier this year, one of my bold predictions was Frank Schwindel won't get, I think it was 250 plate appearances this year because he's going to underperform so much early on that the, the Cubs will find alternatives. And it, it, it's for a while, it looked like that bold prediction might actually come true, but uh, they don't have great alternatives at first base. I know we talked about Rivas uh, on the show recently, but yeah, it, to me, he's more a deep league option Uh where it's just if you you need a, a player who's going to play a fair amount and maybe has the opportunity to to hit better than he's hit so far. But I yeah, I'm with you. I didn't see anything either in his you know longer track record or in terms of just the peripherals that he had with the Cubs last year that really made me feel like what he did was was legit. 
Right. I, I thought it was pretty much all hit tool because the K rate was low last year and the power was so unexpected. And if you took away the power, you'd have this first baseman that maybe hit for a decent average, depending on where he was going to hit in the order, could have decent run production, but he'd fall short of matching other players the position. So that was that was my reasoning for staying away from Schwindel. And the the alternatives here, I mean, I think the Paven Smith toss-up is, is where I would go. I, I would prefer Paven Smith of these three first base options, and it's not particularly close. You know what? I talked about him a little bit on rates and barrels earlier today, but Paven Smith's hitting the barrel more often, and I like that. I, I like this as a guy that is on a team that's starved for offense. They have shown some patience with him as recently as last year. He played in 145 games, had 545 plate appearances. He takes his walks, and usually there's not that much swing and miss in his game. And on top of the K rate being up, there's not a underlying metric necessarily supporting that. His O-swing percentage has gone down, even though his strikeout rate has jumped up more than 10 percentage points from where it was a year ago. So I think if you're in a deep league and you're just desperate for something at first base, Haven Smith makes more sense to me than Schwindel and it might be sneakily a, a good pickup now that comes through and, and really turns things around here in these next few weeks. Yeah. No, we are both all about the Diamondbacks first base eligible players. That's <laughs> really, really not where you want to be, but sometimes it's where you, you have <laughs> it's to where be. You have to be. <laughs> I did like another one of the players that uh, John had in his write-up, though, Jace Peterson getting more opportunities for the Brewers because of the injury to Willie Adames, right? Luis Arias moves over and plays more shortstop. Jace Peterson can play a little bit more at third base, probably as part of a playing time with Mike Bra- or part of a, pl- a platoon with Mike Brasso. But being on the big side of that and seeing that Jace Peterson can run a little bit, it's kind of like streaming stolen bases or streaming four steals. You're not expecting Jace Peterson to be in your active lineup in a mixed league maybe two weeks from now when Willie Adames comes back and the playing time dries up. But this is more of a, hey, he can fit somewhere on my roster and he might help me in that category. And because the Brewers are not a bad offense, I'm not necessarily taking the hit that I described earlier in those other categories while he's getting that time because Jace Peterson, among other things, also gets on base quite a bit. He's got 12.6% walk rate. He walked a lot last year. And just one of those guys that seems like he's got the trust of Craig Council when the Brewers need to turn to their bench to lean on someone a bit more heavily. Yeah, I mean, he was very useful at, at periods last year for fantasy. And it's always just, or I shouldn't say always, but the last couple of seasons uh, when he has taken his productivity up a notch uh, it's been more an issue of playing time. So he's got it now. And I, you know, I like that idea of not necessarily streaming him for the position, but streaming him for the categories. And uh, yeah, once uh, Adamas comes back, uh, I'm sure you could find somebody who fits a similar mold, but for the time being, Peterson's could be really useful. Yeah, it's one of the ways to make up ground in that category. It's not always going to be someone that sticks on your roster permanently. Sometimes it's just someone who's playing a little bit more. So a good fallback option. I think even if you're thinking about Bruhan, Peterson might be a good contingency bid, might be someone you win for a smaller percentage of your budget who actually does just as well for the times when the playing time is equal, even if Bruhan's window to play ends up being a bit of a longer one. I wanted to ask you, are you interested in Robinson Cano in San Diego? I mean, it's more of a deep league sort of consideration, but do you think just getting out of New York and getting a fresh start might actually make him viable for deeper leagues again? Not really. I, I've not. I didn't consider him for the waivers piece, which in turn means I wasn't really looking at him this weekend for, for fab bidding. Um, yeah, I just I, I don't really believe in the skill set anymore. Uh, there, there's playing time now there for now, but um I, I yeah I, I'm not sure what what you're getting uh, from Cano that that's really going to be useful in in most mixed leagues. I thought there would still be at least a decent bit of batting average from him because when we last saw him in the shortened season, he played 49 games in the 60 game season. He hit 316, kept a K rate under 15. percent uh, The underlying numbers were were actually pretty good, and there's power. I mean, 10 homers in 49 games that season. So I just thought even with the layoff there might be enough of a graceful decline for deeper leagues. I'm a little more intrigued than you are. Projections are are telling me to be less optimistic than I am, though, because even the most optimistic projection over at Fangraphs from the bat has Cano at 256, 304, 410 the rest of the way. That is mostly an NL-only league sort of play, so maybe it's just about chasing the playing time in leagues where anybody with a pulse ends up getting onto rosters. 
I want to ask you about Rodolfo Castro in Pittsburgh as well. Seven straight starts entering play on Friday. He was six for six as a base dealer at AAA through 29 games. I mean, he's got kind of a similar profile to the player that he's taking playing time away from, a guy that I liked earlier this season in Diego Castillo. Yeah, uh, no, I, I like him as a deeper league play. He'd be somebody for me, 15 teams, where I, I'd like him on my roster for uh, the speed power potential. But pr- honestly, most weeks, I think I would probably would have have uh, have him on the bench. And of course, uh, you know, whether you're talking about him or you're, you're talking about Castillo, you're, you're talking about a, a temporary felon uh, until O'Neill Cruz is ready. And the numbers aren't aren't good, but I think some of that is, um, you know, him getting babbipped. And uh, I just think, you know, it's, it's I would expect, again, this is just completely off the cuff, but I would think maybe in a month or so we'll see Cruz up. So I think you have to just keep that in mind with your, your bids for Castro that uh, it, it could be a relatively short stay. Yeah, if you look at O'Neill Cruz, he's got a 253 batting average on balls in play at AAA right now. He's 9 for 13 as a base dealer. He's popped three home runs. He's walking a lot, 14.5% walk rate. Maybe the K rate's a tick on the high side at 25%, but I mean, Nolan Gorman just got promoted, and his K rate's north of 30% at the same level. Right. I don't really know what the Pirates are trying to do here with O'Neill Cruz. He should be up. He should be trying to solve big league pitching instead of AAA pitching, but Pirates going to pirate, as uh, we've said many times uh, over the years, so... I don't think, unless we get some kind of indication from the Pirates that he's coming up before the end of the weekend, I don't think Cruz is quite in that spot where I'm stashing him in mixed leagues at this point. I think he's still more of a wait until you get the news sort of player just because of the Pirates possibly dragging this out a few more weeks before giving him that next opportunity in the big leagues. I want to ask you also about Christopher Morell. I think people saw the uh, the home run video that was going around earlier this week, and just curious if you see any path for him to carve out uh, any sort of significant role with the Cubs. I know it was Jason Hayward going to the COVID IL that actually opened up the roster spot in the first place, but this is a pretty interesting player that can move around to multiple spots that actually has some interesting tools as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, we talked about Frank Schundel, but I mean, you know, he can cover some of that ter- territory too. First base, DH, cor- you know, corner infield, corner outfield. So Morel does offer versatility. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think he could wind up being, you know, granted I'm, I'm not, uh, raising the bar too high here, but could be one of the bigger producers in this Cubs lineup. Um, that, you know, there's, there's some power that we saw develop, uh, this year in, in AAA and, um, the, you know, the strikeout rate isn't, um, it's not great, but it's, you know, again, we're not talking Nolan Gorman territory here. So pretty nice profile, maybe even can chip in a few, a few steals. So I, I think Morel deserves uh, an extended shot and I think he's off to obviously a very good start just a few games but uh, I I think he deserves that shot and likely will get it and I I don't think he's you know anywhere close to 12 team relevant just yet but I think anything deeper he's somebody that that definitely should be added this weekend a good contingency consideration again on the cheap probably in 15 team mixed leagues though because I think the Cubs can find a way to make it work. He moves around enough, and he's a lot younger than some of the players like Schwindel and like Patrick Wisdom, who've been holding down spots since the second half of last season. If you're looking toward the future and you're the Cubs, you'd rather see what Morell can do than see what guys that are in their late 20s are going to do with that regular run of playing time. Let's get to Cole Calhoun for a moment. Arguably a guy that could play in some 12-team leagues, at least a 12-team league where you're starting five outfielders because the playing time looks steady and it looks like his bat is finally coming to life after a pretty quiet April. Yeah, and if you look back at that April, uh, the numbers, again, the surface number surface uh, level numbers were horrible, but he was barreling at a decent rate, wasn't striking out a lot, so it just looks like a case of that... Uh, he could very easily find the the middle ground between this ridiculous hot streak. He's on 13 for his last 31 with four home runs and uh, the horrible numbers that he put up in April and, uh, you know, could be in a very nice spot in the lineup. A lot of the time uh, playing time will be there. He's even been starting against left-handed pitchers of late. So uh, yeah, yeah. I, I actually, I agree with what you say. Uh, in fact, in the waiver column, I did make a bidding recommendation for 12 team leagues. Like I, I just think that, if nothing else, you ride the hot streak. But I think there's there's more to come. 
Yeah, definitely more playable than people realize. And I don't know if the Rangers offense has a, a big step in them, but I do think Marcus Semyon getting going and having a few other secondary pieces producing could make them closer to a league average offense than than they have been uh, to this point. So Kel Calhoun, I think, is viable uh, for the reasons that you mentioned. The other name that's pretty interesting here is Hunter Dozier because he plays a lot for the Royals. I mean, we're talking about a guy that's had I think, one day off since May 8th. So a fixture in the lineup, usually in the middle third of the order, too. I think every game that he started this season, he's hit somewhere between fourth and sixth. And now he's got a lot of versatility, eligibility at first base, third base, and in the outfield in most leagues. So I think you could make a case for Dozier as a guy that's a little more into the, the shallow league radar, at least if you're looking for that that versatile bench player that is in as soon as you lose someone and maybe out when you have your full complement of players healthy. Yes, and and also somebody who's been hitting very well lately too. So again, if you if you just like to play the hot hand, uh, he he checks that box, and he's got the the versatility. Um, he, he's uh, hitting with a lot of power and backing it up with with decent uh, power peripherals. So yeah, there's there's a lot to like there, and it's funny because I actually initially didn't intend to write about Calhoun this week. I wanted to write about Mike Mustakis, but I I looked at because he's been hitting very well for the last two three weeks. But if, again, you look a level down, and actually he hasn't been supporting uh, the high batting average and the the increasing slugging percentage that he has. And I thought, well, okay, if you want a third base upgrade, who'd be a better player to go to? And I looked, get, looked uh, at Dozier, and it, he's really a far superior option to Moustakis. And their, their roster rates are nearly identical. Yeah, I do think with Dozier, that extra versatility helps a lot. I want to see where... Things go with the balls in play. He might be a little bit lucky there. I'm not necessarily expecting a, a 270, 280 average going forward. He did it 279 in the year of the rabbit ball back in 2019, but I think I'd be more apt to split the difference between the current average and the projections, which are mostly in the 235 to 240 range, if I'm trying to set an expectation for him going forward. But decent power runs a little bit. You're not talking about a zero in the speed category, even though you're probably talking about only a handful of bags for any given season from uh, from Hunter Dozier. Um, one more Royal to get to, Kyle Isbell appears to be waking up a little bit as well. And I think he kind of fits into the we're desperate for speed, can we trust him conversation. Because it's kind of like Isbell versus maybe Eli White in the handful of leagues where he wasn't picked up if you're thinking about speed sources in leagues with 15-plus teams. Yeah, and, and between the two, I probably would give a, a slight preference to Eli White, but I think that they do fill that that similar need uh, wouldn't necessarily count on either player, even in deep leagues being a regular starter, but uh, would would be worth starting right now, like in, in 15 team leagues. And for what it's worth for me, Eli White, I'm just really concerned about that K rate. I know he's getting chances to lead off and it's a lot of playing time right now. I could just see it drying up on him really fast. He's 27. The Rangers have a couple of younger guys. We've talked about Leody Tavares a bunch of times on this podcast as someone that probably gets another chance eventually. The thing that's probably holding it together for Eli White, he is drawing walks, so he's got a 328 OBP right now. And the O-swing percentage doesn't necessarily line up with a guy that's going to strike out nearly 35% of the time. So maybe a little bit of improvement in the K percentage also gives him a chance to push the OBP up just slightly. And like cheap speed is cheap speed. Eight steals and eight attempts so far for Eli White. So if that continues, maybe we're talking about another 12 to 15 steals for the rest of the season if he finds a way to hold on to that playing time. Let's shift the focus over to some pitchers, though. As mentioned up top, it's not just Nolan Gorman coming up for the Cardinals. Matthew Liberto are up as well. Uh, we've had a few other interesting pitching prospects come up this year. George Kirby uh, among them, and, and maybe the guy that makes the, the most sense as far as thinking about your comparison for what did your league pay when Kirby was available if you're in a league that uses fab, and and how much are you willing to pay relative to that for Libertor when you consider that he's pitching in a pitcher-friendly ballpark with a very good defense behind him? Well, I don't see that comp quite the same, same way. And in fact, to me, I, I think maybe the better comp would be Chase Silseth, even though Libertor does arrive with... Uh, more well, any experience at AAA and a lot more experience, uh, and, and certainly a lot more um, prospect buzz than Silseth did. But uh, I, I, you know, I question the long-term uh, opportunity for both of those pitchers. 
uh, at least initially. I, I think that the Cardinals eventually do have to find a spot for Libertor. You and I have talked about this, um, you know, in terms of uh, who would would you know be the likely person to to make way, and it's it, it it's not an easy call. You know, maybe it would take an injury. So that's something I work worry about with Libertor. That would keep me from going, you know, eight, nine, ten percent of Fab uh, for him. And the you know the peripherals this year are AAA. They're good. They're not eye popping. So then you wonder, okay, if it comes down a notch, is he really just kind of an ordinary pitcher and more of a deep league guy than somebody that you want to really spend a lot of your Fab on, particularly uh, in in twelve teamers. Yeah, I wonder. I mean, he's going to start against the Pirates on Saturday, so we'll get a look at him before Fab runs on Sunday. And you start thinking about what they've got with Michaelis, Hicks, Hudson, Wainwright, and Matts. In a strange way, I have more faith in Matts than in Hudson, even though Matts' ERA is above six right now and Hudson is just under four. I think the underlying numbers for Dakota Hudson have been a mystery to us for a long time, kind of figuring out how do you get these results when you walk this many guys and you don't miss a lot of bats. Um, so I th- I think there's a way for the Cardinals to make it work, either going to a six-man rotation or possibly removing one of Hudson or Matt's. Again, I think it's much more likely to be Hudson if they were going to make that change because Matt's yeah. just signed a big contract, and I think there are indicators pointing to a pretty nice bounce back for him. Uh, but I do think the uncertainty tempers the bidding relative to Kirby. When Kirby came up, it was the clear-cut replacement for Matt Brash. He had a rotation spot with his name on it. Because we don't have that with Libertor, it's probably more like a 5 to 7% bid unless we get some sort of confirmation from the cards that he will, in fact, make another turn after that start against Pittsburgh this weekend. So uh, I, I see probably more of a top 50, fringe top 50 starting pitcher if we get that confirmation and more of a back-of-the-top 75 to top 90 range starting pitcher without it because up and down in and out of the rotation is a very frustrating player to have in most mixed leagues so long-term outlook still good short-term outlook might be a little bit bumpy for Matthew Libertor Um, so other interesting names though among pitchers that are available you mentioned Chase Silseth before is he sticking do you see it being a case where he's going to hang around because the matchups coming up are very difficult this coming week He would get the Blue Jays, and I know that Toronto offense has underperformed in a big way recently. I don't expect that to continue. It's still a matchup (laughs) that I don't really like for guys that I'm still getting a feel for in terms of just where their true talent level is at. I think that's a fair description of Silseth this early in his career. And if you look to the week after a start against Toronto, at Philly would be his next turn. So we have a little bit of uncertainty about whether or not he's going to make those starts. But then we also have some certainty in difficult matchups if he does get those turns. Right. He's a tough one to figure out and he is still out there in a lot of leagues. So it's a tough one. He's a tough one to figure out or gauge in terms of how much to spend because his debut, which was spectacular was against Oakland. One of the most favorable matchups in the majors, his uh, next start, which comes in just a few hours is also against Oakland. So that could be very misleading as an indicator to see, what we should expect against Toronto and Philadelphia. And yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I'm still calling the Blue Jays a tough matchup. So uh, I would go light uh, on bidding for Seth, which means that I'm probably not going to get him this weekend. But I, I would rather let somebody else take the risk and potentially get a pitcher that maybe is really as good as we saw not only a double A, but we saw that that debut against Oakland. Um, it, it, again, it's just a question of how much risk you're willing to take on. And especially at this point of the season where we're having to manage fab a little bit more carefully, uh, it, that's a risk that's just a, a little too much for me. I think the other pitchers people are kind of looking at in the broader player universe right now, replacements in the Mets rotation with Max Scherzer going down, right? you got Trevor Williams and David Peterson lining up for more opportunities in that group. Daniel Lynch, we've talked about a couple of times in the show, pitching a little better than people expected. Got an ERA under four, but the whip doesn't quite go with it. I think it's sitting at like a 130 whip. So ERA is probably more likely to land in the low four range as you look forward, barring some further improvements with the control in particular. And then Brady Singer, Lynch's teammate, who came up, showed a changeup a bit more than often, more often than usual, and was getting great results with that. A little bit of uncertainty as to when exactly he would make his next turn, but it's guys like that, and then even maybe Johnny Cueto, who has a matchup coming up against the Cubs at next week. 
Cueto maybe finding a way to turn back the clock a little bit and, and at least put himself into the streaming conversation? Yeah, perhaps. I mean, of, of uh, you know, those pitchers that you mentioned, I, I'm particular uh, towards Singer just because I, I have been. Uh, he was somebody that, to me, was a sleeper coming into the year that obviously didn't work out uh, up to this point. But, um, you know, now you might actually have to pay uh, quite a bit to, to get him. I let him go in an ale only and then um, had somebody bid more than 20% of fab to get him. So obviously that's not your typical league. You know, that's where, you know, pitching is very scarce and people have to pay big for anybody who might have a regular job and be good at it. But I, I think even as you're looking at like 15 teamers, you, maybe, you know, because of that one start, despite the uncertainty of what his role is going to be in Kansas city, you might have to pay a bit uh, for, for singer, but I do, you know, I certainly like his chances better than, than Cueto going forward. Yeah. Cueto, I think is, purely a matchup-based option for me right now, and maybe he's a slightly better streamer than some of the other names that come up on this show on a regular basis, but I'm not expecting to use him enough to pick him up today and roster him consistently in mixed leagues. I think he's going to be on-again, off-again sort of player for us for the foreseeable future. The other name that kind of fits into this conversation is a possible injury stash. Shane Boz already on the rehab assignment and actually pitched really well his first time out. Five Ks and two and a third innings, only through 24 pitches. Uh, eligible to return late during the first week of June. So a few more rehab starts to come, has to make through that with any sort of setback. But I think it would be a very smart time to say if Shane Boz was dropped in your league, maybe there aren't IL spots or there are limited IL spots and someone had to push him off the roster, this would be a great time to get him on your roster and wait it out for these final couple weeks of rehab because as far as impact pitchers go, it's going to be tough to find anyone with the ceiling that Shane Boz brings to the table on the wire at any point this season. Exactly. And comparing with somebody like Libertor, I don't have any question that uh, when Boz arrives, he's going to be a fixture in that Tampa Bay rotation. And uh, I think you said the um, earliest day you can come back was June 9th. I actually mapped out because he's supposed to make at least three more starts to get ramped up to at least five innings. So those three starts would make would not make him available, I think, until June 11th. So that's probably the earliest he can come back. Uh, but then, you know, once he's back, he'll be stretched out. He'll have a spot. And like you said, an impact pitcher, you know, one of the top pitching prospects right now uh, in, in baseball. So... And, and at this point, you can probably add him without having to give up a lot of fab. So I think even though it's a pain and you're going to have to stash him for, for a few weeks at least, um, it's going to be absolutely worth it. So thinking about this, and, and for what it's worth, Boz is available in about 25% of CBS leagues as of Friday afternoon. So that's that's going to dry up quickly now that he's started the rehab process. Do you have other pitchers that you're trying to stash right now that you weren't previously trying to stash. We have the Libertor call up. Grayson Rodriguez seems like he's closing in on the big leagues just as Adley Rutschman is. Maybe they come up and debut together. That's, uh, we can dream. And even guys <laughs> like Caleb Killian uh, with the yeah. Cubs. like He looks really good at AAA right now. It's not hard to see paths for him into that Cubs rotation. Is this the point at which you are comfortable stashing guys away who have not debuted yet because when the calendar flips to June, if they've pitched well through two months in the minors, we're probably at the point where they're no longer going to have to wait to give those guys an opportunity. Yeah, I uh, I do plan on doing that. Killian is one of the those players that I think is worth stashing right now. There was actually recently uh, a piece where, um, unfortunately, I can't remember which Cubs executive was quoted, but said that Killian is is not far away from a promotion. So there's an opportunity there. Um, he's you know performed very well in the minors. So uh, you know for me, he is absolutely um, you know somebody. In fact, I'd say he's probably the key target after Shane Boz uh, to stash. Uh, and I mean, there's the usual suspects: Grayson Rodriguez, Deal Hall. Um, I have a feeling I'm, I'm maybe missing a, a few others. Maybe Spencer Howard. Um, but yeah, I think now is is the time that you do that because again. These are all pitchers who could be up in the next few weeks. And the closer you get to those call updates and that there's louder, uh, more frequent speculation, then you're you're giving up more fab to, to get them on your roster. Yeah. So I just think Killian might be one of those guys that doesn't always come up in the same conversations as the Grayson Rodriguez, Libertor, 
Max Meyer types. Maybe Yuri Perez has kind of crept into that group as well. Killian's kind of that next level down on a lot of prospect rankings, but he might be more stable just in terms of how he's going to get used and when he's going to get used as a member of that Cubs rotation. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's dig into some shallow league streaming options as we continue to look at some pitchers that might be available in a few places. Nick Pavetta coming off a great start this week, rostered in a lot of deeper mixed leagues. It's a two-start week at the White Sox, home against the Orioles. I just want to know, what is your trust level right now with Nick Pavetta? Is it still highly variable despite the uh, recent dominant outing against the Astros? Yeah, a great you know uh, two hit complete game, uh, and that's really the third very good start in a row for Pavetta. So I I was all ready to get excited about Pavetta because I have in the past, uh, but this is a case too where again you you break down the numbers and it's it's a lot of um, BABIP help that isn't really supported by other numbers. So unfortunately, uh, I will be staying away from Pavetta. Yeah, I, I like him in like a ten team league if you're just looking for volume right now. I don't know if a lot has changed with him in terms of the the core skills that made him risky in the past. The one thing that gives me a little bit more optimism, we are seeing sustained improvement in the home run rate. I mean, even compared to where he was just in 2019 and the shortened season in 2020, last year was an improvement, 1.39 homers per nine. That's still on the high side for a home run rate, down at 1.05 homers per nine so far this season. I think the concern I would have with Pavetta, though, Knowing that we have the humidor in every park, knowing that the way the ball reacts to the humidor, how that's going to change as the weather continues to warm up and as humidity changes around the league, the guys that have the historically high home run rates that are at career best right now, that correction might be coming if there's not actual skills growth. There's not something with location or movement or velocity or strategy that has actually changed. I think we're just going to pay the price for buying into some of these players now. We're going to pay that price a little bit later when home run rates for the whole league probably jump up. Well, in Pavetta's case, I think, you know, maybe there is an argument to stream him depending on the opponent and where he's pitching because uh, you know, you talk about the improvement. I haven't looked into it, but I, I just have to think that some of that is tied into the change of venue. Going from Philadelphia to Boston would certainly help that. So I think, you know, he probably could be trusted in home starts. Uh, Yankee Stadium, eh, probably not, even with the humidor. So, uh, you know, Toronto, uh, maybe even Baltimore, uh, although I don't know what those park factors look like now since they changed the dimensions. But um I think you got you to gotta pick your spots. Um, I did say I was staying away from Pavetta. Maybe certain weeks I could be talked into it if the if the matchups and the venues were, were really favorable. If you want to be a Nick Pavetta skeptic, like Al and I, 48.3% hard hit rate this season is the worst that Nick Pavetta has ever had in the big leagues. So there's your problem under the hood that might lead you to be a little careful with Pavetta if you were uncertain uh, two Colorado pitchers that I think might be shallow league streamers this week. Hermon Marquez lines up to face the Pirates in Pittsburgh. Austin Gomber catches the Nationals in D.C. Do you care to talk me out of using those guys in shallow leagues where they're available? Uh, Marquez for certain, even though that is obviously <laughs> a really good matchup. Uh, there's there's not a lot of strikeout upside there, though, with the Pirates. That's you know, the one thing you can say about a matchup with the Pirates. And Marquez is completely out of the circle of trust uh, with what he's done so far this year. Gomber at Washington, I like a little bit better, but um, he's, in fact, I I wrote about this a week or so ago. Uh, He's near the very, very bottom in CSW. And that is something that really, really frightens me. So um, probably staying away from Gomber as well. I tried to push some some names that are widely available into the shallow league group, but you did not accept them. So those are probably more medium or deep league considerations. Even with a really good matchup for Marquez, just has not been himself so far this season. I'm surprised you got Martin Perez 
in the Shadow League stream consideration. Great matchup at Oakland, but has the trust level jumped that much for Perez? Or has Oakland just finally reached that level where you're throwing almost anyone against them anytime in any league? So, somewhere in between, because like you give me Herman Marquez at Oakland, I'm still probably saying no, but it's definitely really? uh, that the threshold is low. So Perez crosses that. But also, like you asked me this question two or three weeks ago about is is there anything different with Perez? And at that time, I said I I can't see it. At least recently, he is going to his sinker a lot more often, and that you know almost certainly does have something to do with the fact that he's got his highest uh, ground ball rate in a long time. He's also as of right now, and I, I believe he pitches uh, tonight, Friday night, so that could change, or at least over the weekend at some point. So it could change soon. But right now, Perez is the only qualified starting pitcher. Who has yet to give up a home run. So there are a lot of ground balls. There's a lot of soft contact, both on the ground and even in the air. The contact is really soft with Perez. So yeah, the combination of those maybe marginal improvements with a really great matchup that that gets a yes for me. And I'll throw Tyler Anderson out there uh, kind of as a alternative to Pavetta, probably even a better option than Pavetta going forward Two road starts at the Nats at the D backs. I think he's a shallow league two start pitcher where available. He'd be my top priority of this group of, of streaming targets that we've talked about. If we shift the focus to more medium-sized leagues, mostly like 12 to 14 team leagues, two Boston pitchers jumped out to me, both Rich Hill and Michael Waka on the road against the White Sox. Are you on board? Are you in on Hill and Waka in this spot? Hill, no, because the White Sox actually have hit lefties really well. Um, they have not hit righties well at all. And I think Walker again, this is kind of another, you know, one where uh, the, the bar is low. Uh, I'm not, you know, in a lot of cases where the bar is low, Walker hasn't cleared it. I think he clears this one for me. It's interesting that the K rate for both of these guys has been so low, under 20% for both Michael Walker and Rich Hill in the innings they've thrown so far this season for the Red Sox. Uh, deep league streaming considerations, I think, we could have Mike Miner back in the rotation for the Reds. It would be a home start against the Cubs. Still not confirmed because he has a rehab start on Friday. We'll see if he gets to that okay before the Reds give him the green light for that opportunity. Miner's teammate, Connor Overton, home against the Giants. I have no interest in that whatsoever. And then Alex Fido getting chances in the Tigers rotation. He will face the Guardians. So maybe a little more appeal there than with the two Reds options. Yeah, he definitely would be, if, if I am forced to pick one, I would go with Fido. Miner's kind of interesting. Obviously, we've got uncertainty there about when, when he does make that start. Uh, but I, I would take him over Overton for sure. Let's get through some of the two-start pitchers for this week. Uh, not a terrible week because a lot of times we look at some back-end guys that we really don't want to use. And I think this group is at least solid. I'm going to throw names at you in the matchups. You let me know if you're in or out. Uh, how about Chris Archer? Home against the Tigers, home against the Royals. Great combination of matchups. Just some workload uncertainty. I think that's the the holdup for me when it comes to Archer. Yeah, that's 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 a concern too. Um, I, I frankly, I would rather start Mats, even though in a way he seems a little riskier. I mean, those are really great matchups, but I'm, I'm not not really overwhelmed by uh, what I think that Archer could do with them. Chris Archer has not reached the fifth inning or completed the fifth inning in a start this season. He has reached it, but he's never completed it. Most of his starts, he's faced fewer than 18 batters. He had one start against the Royals back in April where he got 20 batters faced. Every other start, 17 or fewer batters faced. It seems like they've really really been quick to go to their bullpen, which the Twins have a deep bullpen, and that's really hurt Archer's chances of giving us wins so far this season. So definitely an elevated risk because of usage sort of pitcher, despite good matchups. How about Jordan Lyles? Two really tough road matchups at the Yankees, at the Red Sox, getting pretty good results, but of course, being in the AL East, getting pretty consistently tough matchups that people don't really want to use him for. Yeah, not, I don't really trust the results, so I would stay away with those matchups for sure. Drew Smiley is at the Reds and at the White Sox. I was trying to push Smiley onto my roster for the better part of the last month. I feel like I'm less aggressive about that now than I was a few weeks ago. It seems like they're, the wheels are maybe on the brink of falling off for him. 
Uh, I'm not seeing it quite as quite the same way. Uh, although, I mean, it, it could happen this week because I, I want, like initially I saw those matchups like, oh, it's pretty good matchups. And then I thought about it. And that point I raised before that the White Sox have hit lefties really well and that the Reds have actually hit very well the last two or three weeks. So that that knee-jerk response wasn't really appropriate. So it could be one of the, the tougher set of matchups that Smiley has had so far. And the thing is, he's been very consistent, but he's been very consistently just like so-so. So that's the sort of pitcher that normally in a two-start week, like you get just enough volume that that pitcher can be helpful. I think there's a little bit more risk with these matchups this week that uh, I think you could start Smiley. Uh, but as much as I was sort of tepid about Matt's, I think I'm even more so about about Smiley. Yeah, I think Smiley is more of an NL only two start guy for me than a 15 team two start guy. If that Reds matchup maybe weren't at Great American Ballpark, if it were Wrigley and we knew the wind was going to be blowing in and and the home run risk was down, that might be enough to swing it. But I don't like this setup for him whatsoever. And, uh, the high risk group, and I think you could probably include a couple of other deep league considerations here. Zach Plesac has. The Astros and Tigers on the road. Dane Dunning has the Angels and A's both on the road. Then you get to names like Tucker Davidson, home against the Phillies and Marlins. Uh, Zach Davies against the Royals and Dodgers, both at home. JT Brubaker against the Rockies, and then on the road against the Padres. And then Kyle Freeland, two on the road, one at the Pirates, one at the Nationals. Out of that last six, who are you actually willing to take a chance on in the name of volume? Dane Dunning. Easily. I mean, to me, he's definitely the the standout in that group. Um, I mean, he's, he's been pretty good. In fact, I, I can't, I, I wrote somewhere probably about a week ago that as much of a, of a good uh, string of starts as Martin Perez has, the underlying numbers for Dunning were better. Um, and he gets that start at Oakland, which is really nice. So I feel pretty good about Dane Dunning in, the, in this group. I wouldn't even really lump him in with the others. Tucker Davidson's kind of intriguing. Um, I, Almost included Brubaker and Freeland in this week's waiver column because of the two steps. Uh, they both have really good matchups, but um, I think Brubaker is is really a risk because uh, of, of the low um, chase rate for him and just the, the opportunity to walk way too many batters. And with Freeland, it's a lot of contact on pitches in the zone. That's an indicator that always worries me. So it's hard to pass up on, on them with the matchups that they have. Brubaker versus Colorado at home and then at San Diego. Freeland, uh, that same matchup at Pittsburgh and then uh, at Washington. So it's kind of hard to say no with those matchups. But ultimately, um, I mean, ultimately Dunning is just a, a way better option than either of them. Yeah, I do think Dunning, from a, a result standpoint at least, has kind of stood out, uh, at least from that group. And I think the good second matchup is enough in that case to take the chance and, and absorb the first tough matchup against the Angels. Let's get to a few relievers before we go. I think most of the interest this weekend is concentrated on the Yankees bullpen. If you're in a highly competitive league, there's a good chance Clay Holmes is already gone. Uh, but he looks like the next option up if the Yankees move on from Aroldis Chapman. So is Holmes a mustache player even in shallow leagues where he might still be available? I'd say shallow leagues... Probably not, um, just because there's there's usually you know a, a lot of decent options out there, like a David Bednar who's getting save opportunities frequently and, and doing well with them. Uh, I would prefer him to Holmes, but that said, you know if you've got potentially the next Yankees closer just sitting out there, it's sort of hard to pass up. I, mean, I Holmes to me is definitely a target to add in anything deeper than a, than a 12 teamer. And he's somebody that I, I'm glad to see him get the opportunity because he, he gets a lot of very low weak ground ball contact. So he could be a really effective closer, even if he doesn't fit the, the typical profile. Yeah. A bit of a lower K rate than you're looking for from someone who could become a very good closer, 25.7% so far this year, but a tidy walk rate, 2.7% with the walk rate. And as you mentioned, tons of ground balls, not really a guy that's going to be prone to a home run issue has not a lot of long ball yet during the 2022 season. I think the more widely available reliever that people are going to start chasing is Will Vest because Gregory Soto, we know he has control issues. It's only a matter of time before it piles up enough to the point where the Tigers make a change. And I put all the players we talked about on the pitching side into a leaderboard. Will Vest has the best K-BB percentage of 
all the pitchers. Obviously, as a reliever, there's a bit of an advantage there comparing him to starters, but a 30% K minus BB percentage, that's more than five strikeouts to every walk. That's what you're looking for in a reliever that could be on the brink of getting an opportunity to pile up some valuable saves for us. Yeah, I I targeted him in my 15-teamers last weekend. Uh, he's in enough of them. I think that you could still do that this weekend. Maybe a little premature to be talking 12-teamer. I think I actually would target Holmes before Vest in, in those 12-team leagues. Um, and like I, I said before, I'm not even necessarily doing that. But yeah, I think it's just a matter of time before Vest becomes the Tigers' closer. He is their best reliever. Sarcastic and fun uh, says, "Count me out on any Tiger reliever. <laughs> I'm I'm willing to give Will Vest a chance. I know Eno mentioned earlier in the week he does not pop in the pitching plus model. Will Vest has three pitches though. I like relievers that bring three consistent pitches, and I think the fact that he's just not walking that many guys that gives him a chance to be a viable alternative to Soto if and when." More probably when the Tigers make that change. But I understand the Tigers have struggled to fill that spot for a few years now. So maybe you don't want to get burned again if you've burned, been burned by them a few times before. That is going to do it for this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Before we go, be sure to sign up for The Athletic for the next six months at $1 a month. Theathletic.com slash Fantasy Baseball Podcast will bring you to that offer if you have a subscription you can actually read Al's waiver column. It goes up every single Friday. And as I mentioned earlier, you can always watch us live when we do this show on YouTube at 4 o'clock Eastern, 1 o'clock Pacific, each and every Friday. Or, of course, listen to the podcast version. If you happen to be watching the video right now, we get that up each and every Friday evening throughout the season. On Twitter, Al is at AlMelkyRBB. I am at Derek Van Riper. The Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast returns on Tuesday. Have a great weekend. 